All right, guys, I'm uh, here with a, a non-moto podcast that I'm super stoked about. Uh, but first, I want to thank our sponsors, the Cherubies USA. For decades, the Cherubies, Cherubies has been the leader in moto plastic and accessories with parts that fit and look perfect. Check out CherubiesUSA.com or call 1-800-659-1440. Ask for Fully and let them know the Moto X Pod show sent you. Tonight, we're doing a little music pod, and I've got from Skid Row, the original, one of the founding members, the bass player, songwriter, and owner of Dirty Rocker Soap, Mr. Rachel Bolin. What's up, bro? What's happening, man? This is fun. I'm so psyched. Yeah, dude, I, I have seen so many of your interviews, read so many of your interviews. I was the kid that every month was at the store getting the, the new hit Parader and Circus, and uh, you know I listened to Eddie Trunk, of course, and check out your pods and that metal show, and but it, it's like I, I would never have thought I'd get a chance to talk to you. And we're going we're gonna to get into the business, Dirty Rocker Soap, which is how I got in contact with you. But I want to start with music, man. Um, yeah. This is like, what is your earliest memories of music? Man, uh, I'm the fourth out of four kids. And my parents listen to music. Like, like just, I'll start there. It's like, mom listened to stuff like, show tunes like sound of music and stuff like that she loved um matt king cole frank sinatra yeah uh she actually saw frank sinatra before he was huge when she lived in newark new jersey she saw him uh opening up for a movie oh wow yeah how rad uh, is that yeah so uh there's that and then dad Dad was into all kinds of wacky stuff. There's this band that back then they were called the Harmonicats, and it's these guys, these four dudes, just playing all these like these huge harmonicas, real little ones. And <laughs> actually, they actually made a couple records, and um, yeah, so I, I heard that he was into he was into soundtracks too, like Doctor Shivago, and and then there was there was a, a period of time his best friend um, was Polish and turn him on to polka music man so we had oh, wow. that cranking in our house all the time okay know? and then then you know it went to my oldest sister who was into the whole british movement of the beatles and you know herman's hermit and and all kinds of cool stuff like that and then my brother was into hendrix chicago the doors and and uh my sister closest in age she she turned me on to a lot of cool stuff she had i think the, the most vast musical palette she listened to everything from like carol king james taylor to alice cooper you know and black sabbath so she turned me on to a lot of that stuff and so there was always music playing in my house as a kid and uh i i just i remember man we had a living room that had stairs that went down into the entry of the house uh-huh. and that that to me was my stage and so i would just imagine like all these people down there in the entryway that's cool man so you were you were one of those guys that was basically born to you you ended up doing what you were sounds like you were born to do i i think so i i really think it was in me way before i realized it you know yeah it's not something that i cultivated it was definitely something that was in my wiring so you had all these influences, all these different musical styles. What was the first thing you heard and went, oh, shit, like life-changing? This, this is, you know, whatever. This is getting to me. This is emotional. This is, this is w- what I am. Well, um, as far as, like, a concert experience, which really made me 
uh, I, man, I was young. I was probably five or six. And I remember this like it was yesterday. I, my mom loved, and my dad loved Liberace. And so did my grandmother. So, <laughs> okay. so they were playing, they were playing in Jersey. I, I want to say it was the Garden State Art Center at the time. I, I think that was the venue, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. But anyway, so he was playing and they got tickets and being that I was, so little they took me with them and i remember sitting in an aisle and just watching the show and watching these people just go absolutely bananas and just the talent that was coming from that stage and the sound of how loud the piano was because it was just him and the piano yeah that was the whole stuff and the encore i remember changed everything for me because everything went dark and you know there's people cheering and as a little kid you're just kind of you know, little off put by your in right. the dark. Yeah, yeah. If my parents, a little nervous. If my parents and my grandmother weren't just right next to me, it would have freaked me out. But it went all dark and people were cheering. And then he came out and you didn't see him and he hit a chord on the piano and his whole suit had thousands of little lights on it. They lit up. Then he hit another chord. And the whole piano lit up the same way, and, and he went into the song. And when he did that, I, I, it really clued me into theatrics. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, uh, and I think that was a life-changing moment for me. Like, okay, I need to do something like this. That, <laughs> you that's, know? that's cool. That I could see what, you know, and that would probably later lead into, well, I want to talk about this, but you're, you're, you're a big Kiss fan, right? So I, I would say the, oh, yeah. the theatrics would lead into that. It's I'm a little, I'm, I'm 45 right now, so I'm a little younger than you, but I didn't have any music influence really growing up. Like my mom, I remember driving around and she would listen to like Mickey Gilly and Kenny Rogers, but she didn't really care about music. And I hated that stuff. I hated it. And, and my dad was in the military and I don't remember him listening to music. He was gone a lot, but he would come home from overseas and have these like bootleg tapes of like Donna Summers and stuff. And I would check it out, but you may make fun of me, you may not, I don't know, but the, the band that changed everything for me was Poison. Um, right. That was the height of the quote-unquote hair band. I know you guys probably don't like that term, but I, I didn't know anything about music. I was about 12, 13. My friends were into Run DMC, LL Cool J. That was what was kind of big at the time. I was sitting sure. around watching MTV waiting to see the Walk This Way video with Run DMC. I didn't know who Aerosmith was. I thought this was a Run DMC song. That's how right. ignorant I was to music, but then nothing but a good time came on, and I still remember like I was like, "Oh my God, what is this guitar solo?" and and from there I discovered you know, Rat and Def Leppard, and that was like my moment. And I have zero music ability, but I I hang out with lots of people that can play, so at least I live vicariously through those guys. But that, right. it's really cool that you had all those influences, um, and I'm sure that's a lot of what shaped you to become who you are. Um, when did you decide on the bass or when did you decide that you even wanted to play music? Well, uh, I think I decided that night. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because from then on it was just, you know, playing air guitar in the mirror and <laughs> yeah. standing on, on, uh, at the top of the stairs, like I said, and, and, and cranking like, uh, Creedence Clearwater. I remember fortunate son. I just kept, I had the single and it kept, kept putting the needle back, putting the needle back, yeah. putting the needle back, kept playing it. And then um, my sister turned me on to uh, Frankenstein, Edgar Winter. Oh, and, yeah. you know, no vocals, of course, but that riff, was, I was just like, what is this? And then, then 
you know, Alice Cooper schools out. And I was just like, what? Yeah. And of course, every, all that was a direct conduit to Kit. And then once I started listening to them, they just, they just took everything and, you know, they set the bar so high <laughs> for anything else to influence me, you know? Right. And, but it, it, it was great. It, it was really, it, it was like all those moments really, um, had, had a, a big part in carving out what I do for a living. Yeah. I can only imagine. Um, I, I again, I, I feel like I missed out on some of that with my parents not being into it and, like talking to my mom sometimes, she, she, I remember at the height of like, I guess late eighties when I was, re- I was wearing the denim jacket with the batch, you know, the, the back patches that was cool back then. And my mom would be like, Oh, this is a fad. You're not going to like this forever. And I was, like that blew my mind that, cause it meant so much to me and that music meant so little to her. And I, I tell right. her all the time, like you grew up in what, in my opinion is the greatest time in music, the way rock and roll changed the world. It was so influential uh-huh. And she just doesn't even like it. Doesn't register to her, so it kind of makes me sad. Um, yeah, it, it does always. It does blow my mind still when I hear people are like, ah, "I really don't listen to music." I'm yeah, like, how could you not? I mean, I, I, and I think maybe I'm biased because I am a musician, but I, I still hear people say that. You know? Yeah, there's there's those so weirdos weird. out like, there. Yeah, there. There's like, what? What do they do? Like, I mean, not even in the car. No, to, to keep you company or anything. You know? No, it's just, it's. Just, it's Crazy. I, yeah. I, uh, a friend of mine was a, a head instructor at a school of rock in Atlanta, and he asked me to come talk to the kids. And I was like, dude, they're not going to know who Skid Row is. They're not going to know who I am. He Because I asked him, I go, how, how old are they? He goes, we have every, every uh, kids from uh, 7 to 14. And I go, dude, they're not going to know who I am. He goes, yeah, they will. And I was like, no, they're not. He goes, I'm telling you, they will. These kids. He goes, remember when you were a kid? Yeah. Who did you listen to? And I was like, well, yeah, I listened to all my big brothers and big sisters' records, you know? So I went, and it was incredible. It was, like, one of the best experiences. He said, yeah, give me 20 minutes. I was there, I think, for an hour and a half talking <laughs> to, the, to them. And it blew my mind because the youngest kid in there had a Jimi Hendrix T-shirt on. Yeah. And, and I said, name me a Jimi Hendrix song that is not Purple Haze, Foxy Lady, or, or All Along the Watchtower. And he goes, Dolly Dagger, uh, Cross Down Traffic. And he started naming like these deep tracks. I'm like, my that, man. That's that cool. Awesome. Hell yeah. It's so much cool. Yeah. yeah so there's... these kids are really dope. So that, that was kind of me, but I didn't have the school of rock. Right. You know? Yeah. They're... I had Cream Magazine and Circus and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there are still those people that, like we were talking about, that just don't, they, they'll get in the car and drive in silence. And I hear about it. Even my mom, like, if I've had to take her somewhere, she's like, can you turn that down? And I'm like, you you can't even hear the words, let alone the music. Like she just doesn't get it, and man, it her it, it makes me sad. But it is what it is with them. Uh, so how about writing music? Like, did you instantly start learning to write? I, I don't know if you uh, are technically trained where you can read music or not, but like just the lyrics and were you did you start doing that right away? Yeah, I did. Um... I used to know how to read music, and, and man, it would take me a long time to figure <laughs> it out now. But I, um, yeah, it, it seems this is another thing that seems strange to me as a musician that doesn't write. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. And, um, but I mean, there there are a lot of musicians that just don't write songs, and they're amazing musicians, and that's what they do. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I always. 
gravitated towards that. Like if, you know, I, I had a minute in class, I, I'd write something down in my book. I always had a book with me where I'd write lyrics and poems and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I'm a man, when I was, I don't even know if I had my license yet, but <laughs> I, I had an original band and yeah, we were writing songs and I, I did most of the writing, you know, and, um, that's rock and roll. That, that kind of came naturally, you know what I mean? Yeah, that that is so rock and roll right there to me. The garage band and a lot of that art, I feel like, is kind of gone now. That that style of playing, and I actually asked some questions about that in a little bit. But uh, as far as writing lyrics, I always find it strange when singers of bands don't write their own lyrics, just because I, I again, I'm not a musician, so I, but I wonder how, like, if you're singing these songs every night, how you relate to a song that you didn't write. But on the reverse, what's it like to for you to write a song? And then have your singer sing it, and you're not because you, I mean you can sing. I've heard you on videos, you know, doing playing, doing Ramones and stuff like that. But having mm-hmm. somebody else do your songs, does that does that feel weird to you, or is it just are you comfortable with it? I mean, are you no, less- I'm totally com- I'm totally comfortable with it um, because you know, uh, and even more so as I get older because I write with people for other people. Ah, uh, okay. Um, Oh, I got a call. Oh. No, go away, Cole. Go away. <laughs> no <laughs> I worries. I hit the clock. Hopefully I don't hang up on you. Yeah, no problem. Okay, you're still there. Okay, um, so writing, you know, I just keep in mind, especially like when it's for Skid Row, that, okay, I'm writing for a person that is in the same band. So we have the same general outlook on things. Um, what, what's tricky is you have to know the, the comfort zone of the singer that you're writing yeah. for that's going to be singing it. And, uh, you know, there, there are times with ZP, he's just like, man, he goes, uh, you know, I, I, I love these lyrics, but man, there's this one line that I'm just not feeling. It's just not me. And I get it. I get it. You know? So I'm like, well, what would you want to say? there and he's like well what if we do this to it or do that and then it ends up fine you know that's cool uh, because it, he, he has to he's the one that has to be up there meaning it you know right and uh it's it, you, you can't expect someone to go and just uh, mail it in i wouldn't want want him to do that no and that's i think that's really special that you uh don't have a problem with that with with making changes because you hear all these stories about you know guys that or it, uh, writers that just, they don't want it changed. That's the way they meant it. But the fact that you're willing to do that with your singer, that's pretty cool. And I was listening to, I listened to both the uh, United World Rebellion, Chapter 1 and 2 today, just kind of, because that the newer stuff is still a little bit new to me. Um, and I really, I think you guys did a great job picking, it's ZP, right? That's, ZP is the singer? Yeah, he, he's not on those records, but yeah, our singer is ZP. Oh, yeah. okay, he's the new singer. I heard it, I heard you talking about him on Eddie Trunk recently, so I thought he sang on the first, who's the singer on the first two albums, on oh, the first two? Uh, um, that That's our old singer, Johnny Sollinger. Okay, well, yeah. anyway, I guess I'll, I'll continue with what I was saying, though, is that he, I could kind of hear where he would probably do very well carrying the old Sebastian stuff because it just felt like they had a similar vocal style um i haven't heard the new guy yet then so but i know i did hear on eddie trunk that you guys are working on a new full-length album yeah that's awesome yep i'm looking forward to that um all right so i want to still go back to your youth a little bit you're growing up teenage years 
going to high school. When do you meet meet Dave and uh, Scotty? Uh, well, I met Scotty. Um, I put an ad in the uh, Aquarian, which is the uh, the you know it's a, a music newspaper for tri-state area. Okay. And and I put an ad in the back. Um, at the time, it was myself and my friend uh, Damien, who was the drummer. And we were just starting. We had him and I had been in a bunch of bands together, and and disbanded them, and whatever. And then we decided, okay, we're gonna. We want to do like a heavy, like kind of, kind of metal, but but catchy. But we want full on, you know, big hair, whatever. <laughs> Heck yeah! And, and uh, you know, and uh, just let let let's make Motley crew look like they're you know, the way they dress like they're going to church or something like that. So let's do this. So we auditioned a bunch of guitar players, and I put an ad in the um, in the aquarium, and I still lived at home at the time. We both did. And um, I went out that night, and my mom was taking the calls for me. And she wrote this down, and uh, I see this one name, Scott Hill. And I'm like, where's she from? And and. It said where he was living, which was about uh, almost a three-hour drive oh. from where we lived. Yeah. And and I was like, oh, man, that guy lives too far, you know? And we tried out some other guys before I called them back, and they didn't really work out. And we were just like, man, let, let's let's just see. He, he's probably not even going to want to drive down here. So I called him. He's like, yeah, shit, yeah, man, I'll drive down there. And he came down, and the first word he said to me when I opened up the front door, he goes, I have to pee. Can I use the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And I go, right there. That's He's back in the house. And, uh, and uh, you know, then we went in the garage, and, and he had learned the songs and just absolutely just tore it up, man. And we were blown away. So we had that band, and we went through a couple of singers with that band. And then uh, that disbanded once I met Snake. And he... Um, Snake worked at a, a music store that was probably about four miles from my house. It, it was the music store I always went to. Mm-hmm. And um, he had a band, and Scotty and I had a band. And we were both, you know, uh, basically disbanding both bands. And, and we just started talking, and it started more of a um, just, hey, let's see if we can write some songs, you know, you write your songs, I write our songs, so let's, let's see what happens, and we got together, and he, we wrote some stuff really quickly, and we dug it, and we're like, huh, and he's like, well, I got a few friends, man, that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of putting a new band together, so I went up to Sayreville, and, and we, uh, I played, and I was like, this is really cool, you know, and he, he, he had, uh, Snake had given me some of the stuff he was doing with these guys. So I learned the songs. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And, you know, when when you meet someone like Snake, you you know right away when someone has it. You yeah. Know? And for lack of better term, the X Factor. And I felt the same way when I met Scotty um, years earlier. So I was like, you know, I was in a room with, with him and the rest of the guys he was playing with, and you could tell who had the X factor and who didn't. And yeah. I don't mean that. In a bad, I don't mean that in a uh, bad way. It's just the way it is. And so 
Uh, the first thought that came to mind is like, yep, this guy's a hard worker. I want to work with this guy. I want to get Scotty Hill in this damn band. Yeah. <laughs> so as time went on, we uh, we we started um, moving guys around, and we we uh, the the one guitar player we parted ways with him and auditioned Scotty, and he came down and just again just totally blew our minds. So. And he writes songs as well, and he sings back. He gets to harmonize and all this stuff. So, um, uh, you know, I just said the thing. I go, dude, this is a slam dunk. This is, you know, so we, we got Scotty, and then um, we eventually got the other two guys. But right. Snake, Snake was one of those guys where he lived in Sayreville, which is a good 50 miles from Tom's River. But he couldn't get a gig up there with his hair so he he rode two buses to get to work five days a week sometimes six just so that he could keep pursuing music and stay in a band and have long hair and i'm like man i i, I like this dude i like his work ethic right you know what i mean it's awesome and uh there was one point that that music store employed scotty snake and myself and it oh. was just complete chaos i can only imagine yeah especially after watching oh say can you scream with you guys and yeah that yeah you guys guys were uh always comical and yeah yeah that was i can only imagine that that how that store ran probably yeah yeah uh, somehow we kept turning a profit for our boss but man it was just mayhem i bet i bet uh so you guys start riding and playing together um uh, just for the record, I actually lived in Clementon for when I was a kid for like a year. I, I think that's, oh, wow. a, that's a couple. Of, my dad was stationed in Philadelphia, and we lived there. So I had to call him the other day. So what was this? Because I was only like five, but I, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? We, we if uh, I was near the greatness of uh, you guys at any point in time. But uh, <laughs> um, so who was it that was it you or Dave that had the uh, the connection with John? I guess John Bon Jovi. Uh, that was Snake. He um, okay. they grew up together. Okay. They grew up together. Literally lived on the next block from each other. And and Sayre, well, it's, it's technically Parlin, New Jersey, but it, it's kind of a suburb of Sayreville. So um, yeah, they they literally lived one street over from each other. Oh, and and that was super um, hel- obviously helpful when it came time to get signed. But before that, yeah. so you're touring locally, I assume, with your original singer. Uh, you guys are writing some of the songs that end up on the self-titled Skid Row album. What was touring like? And like, were you being received really well with the original singer? Um, yeah, we we you know what? It's for, we didn't really tour. Okay, we we, we did some shows with uh, opening for Bon Jovi when they um, they first before Slippery when Wet blew up, like seventy eight hundred degrees we, Fahrenheit time or. Uh, after that, it was, it okay. was first Slippery, but Slippery didn't blow up yet. Oh, okay. It was right in the early stage. I don't even know if the album was out yet. So we were doing, we did two shows at Stabler Arena in Bethlehem, PA. And I'll tell you what, after that, and we, and we got a really good response. It, it held like 5,000 people. We'd never played in front of more than a few hundred people <laughs> in, in the Jersey Club circuit. And it was just like, whoa. And we were out there. And when I got back, I so I told my boss, I was like, yeah, um, I got to cut my hours. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't go and punch a clock anymore. So I um, 
thankfully the the gamble paid off but um yeah so we did that and then it was after those shows that we decided we were gonna um look for a new singer okay so once again it was just he was one of the guys that that was with snake when i first started jamming with him right and and, and he didn't have the the x factor as you put it which i mean there's a lot of people i've seen bands play you know all right this guy's pretty good but I think a singer has to command the stage. Like you have to be able to work the crowd and, you know, and and the great singers can do that. And there's guys that I've heard play and they're great, you know, but they just, they don't, they don't get you excited as a fan. So how do you discover Sebastian? I know he's from Toronto, I believe. And at some point he must come down. How do you, how do you discover this guy? Cause he's a, he's a character. Well, a, a friend of ours, saw him get up and sing at a wedding oh, okay. uh, jam, jam with the band or something so they're like we have been looking for people for a while they're like hey man just try this dude out and we did and uh here we are now right <laughs> just, uh, and you know it, it, it i can't say that it went great but <laughs> we we're just like you know there's something about this dude and uh let's just keep writing songs and see what happens yeah well for anybody Listening to this, like I've got a lot of motocross podcast motocross fans that maybe don't know the band Skid Row, uh, but the, the people that are listening that do know Skid Row, I mean anybody knows that Sebastian was. If you've seen anything with him, the guy's a million miles an hour all the time, and there's that question that you've been asked a thousand times that we're not going to talk about. So if anybody wants to know anything about the a possible reunion, go check out Eddie Trunk's podcast. There's lots of podcasts out there that Rachel and Dave have done, uh, but Eddie Trunk's a good place to check out for that info we're, we're gonna skip over that um but sebastian's a hell of a singer i mean obviously uh some of your biggest hits 18 in life youth gone wild um you know the, the, i remember you obviously huge huge songs the guy's p- powerful voice um i remember watching the osei can you scream video and the way you guys did i remember you acoustically uh until the guitar solo basically and he hits that one note that he carries for like at that time it seemed like days when i first heard it I was just like, the guy was amazing. You guys were a fantastic band. Um, what was it like touring at that stage? You're getting huge. Uh, you're, you're, you, you tour with Bon Jovi for the New Jersey tour, open up for them. But the songs are blowing up on, the, on MTV back then when MTV was king. What was that whirlwind like, and how did you guys live through it? Well, it's... It- our album, our first album came out the first day of the Bon Jovi tour. And so no one really knew who we were outside of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were, there was a buzz building about us like in the days of magazines. So that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it's still to this day. It, it was like watching it on TV, like <laughs> watching it happen to someone else. Yeah, you know I, mean? I can see that. And, uh, you know, we went from our last show, I believe, was at the Stone Pony. We played in front of three or four hundred people. And then literally three days later, we're playing Reunion Arena in Dallas and in front of a lot more than 300 people. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, um, and and the fact that John had, uh, you know, our name was attached with John. He helped us out a lot. It it. it it helped us a lot, you know, sure. with the whole Bon Jovi, the whole Bon Jovi connection. The fact that they took us out and 
put us in front of a lot of people. It, um, it, it, it just, I, I can't even tell you, um, how much it helps, but, um, yeah, so it just kept cranking along and cranking along. And next thing I know was two years later. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You guys were on tour for I'm like, I'm like, where, what the hell happened? What the hell just happened? I, I, I think we were in Russia at some point. <laughs> oh, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you about that too. Yeah. Moscow yeah. music peace festival. Yeah, so it, it was crazy, man. It's like, you know, we're a 23-year-old kid from New Jersey, uh, from Tom's River, that really never got further than Massachusetts or, yeah. or nor- north of Massachusetts or further south than Florida. And, you know, I'm in uh, Tokyo for a week, or in Japan for a week, and then Australia for a week, and it, it was crazy, man. It was absolutely crazy. Uh, yeah, well, and and people listening, if you guys go, if you can go find a copy of Oh Say Can You Scream, you'll get to see a lot of that. You see them land in Japan, and uh, there's a little bit of stuff from Russia, just some stuff on stage, I think, when you guys are sound checking. But there's a lot of tour stuff on there. You see Sebastian get hit by the bottle, which was big news back then. Um, and I, I was going to say, my, my first concert was for my 18th birthday. My mom got me tickets. She was very strict. I never got to go to concerts. Uh but she bought me tickets at Reunion Arena for Bon Jovi and Extreme on the Keep the Faith tour, I believe, um, which that was pretty cool. I never have, I've never gotten to see Skid Row, and I've got to make that change once things get back to normal. Um, yeah. But, yeah, she was super strict. We lived in Hawaii for a while, and I remember, I think you guys opened for Bon Jovi on, on the Hawaii show, didn't you? Were you there for that one? No. Oh, okay. We weren't. We, we only played Hawaii once, and that was the very last show of the Slave to the Grind tour. Okay. And, and like, a monsoon hit. We played at the Aloha Tower outside. Yeah, yeah. And, and about halfway through the show, this, like, this storm rolled in so fast and furious that we're looking at the people. Next thing we know, people are standing in three feet of water. And, and it was a it was a horizontal rain, and we had to bail out. There was nothing we could do. <laughs> there was absolutely nothing we could do. We were getting shocked. Oh, that's and, not good. And, and the crowd was, like, swimming back to their cars. It was the most Jeez. insane storm I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I, we had been gone. We were in Texas by then because I, I remember to get Slave to the Grind, I, had, I wasn't old enough because it had the – uh, parental advisory on it. That was the height of the yeah. PMRC, and I had to get a buddy that was 18 to go buy it for me. So oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I, that's, I still have it. Like I think I posted a picture of it the other day. The my original cassette of the debut album got ran over by a car because I left my tape case on the roof and lost about <laughs> 200 cassettes that night. That was when we, the night we oh, landed no. in Dallas. I put it on the roof of the car. And I watched it slide off, and a bus ran it over, and I cried for an hour. Oh, oh, no. Yeah, it's terrible, terrible, yeah. the days of the cassettes. But, um, okay, so I should have mentioned earlier for those who are one. Rachel's known as the guy with the nose chain. Rachel had the nose chain before piercing was cool. Um, you kind of gave credit to that. Eddie asked you about that recently, just to, uh, I think, a, a, a girl or a punk band or something. Um, it was one, yeah, it was a, a girl who was a huge fan of the Sex Pistols. Okay, I yeah, yeah. I, I believe her nickname was Catwoman or Catgirl or something like that. But I saw a picture and I was like, oh, man, that is cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, when I was kind of cultivating my look, I'm like, I'm going to do that. 
Yeah, I didn't do it. I remember my mom not liking that those posters on my wall because again, I, I don't think there. I don't think there was one mom that did. Right, right. I, I, I always hear stories. I know my mom wasn't crazy. About it, <laughs> I bet like, not. Hey, man. Yeah, Anything. yeah. Anything. I was an adult was, when I got for piercing, and my mom told me like I was going to swim at their house. She's like, "Yeah, your dad's not gonna like that. You can't. You're gonna have to leave." And I was like, "Or or wear a shirt is what she told me because I had my nipple pierced." Uh, <laughs> thankfully, my son was an infant. And I was like, "Well, if I leave, we take the baby with us." So she's like, yeah. all right, never mind, you can stay. But uh yeah, and I do want to give you credit for introducing me to the Ramones from uh Oh Say Can You Scream. Never oh, heard right on. Yeah, I'd never heard of them. I heard you sing that and then soon after that I saw Rock and Roll High School the movie on TV and I was like, "Oh shit, that's that song." So yeah. yeah, that was cool. So you uh you were a big influence on me, you know, as growing up and the stuff I listened to. <clears throat> okay. I mentioned Moscow Music Peace Festival. That was a big deal. That was like 1990, maybe, 91? Or is it? I'm trying to yeah, remember. that sounds about right. Uh, no, actually, yeah, it was, uh, I think, end of 89. Okay, I was right thinking I was yeah. in California when that happened. So it was a big deal to me because, do you remember Amy Cannon? Yeah, yeah. from Motley. Yeah, she, she was mixed, mixed wife yeah. for a little while. Well, her nephews yeah. live like right down the street from me in Hawaii. Okay. So they were about my age. We're outside playing, you know, and they and they knew I was into that kind of music. And like, hey, my my aunt is marrying McMars. I was like, you're full of shit. And their mom came out and showed me pictures. Anyway, she comes to visit a few weeks later, and I know all this stuff from reading the magazines. And we become like pen pals. And she sent me a T-shirt from the show and a guitar pick and a coin. And I, I just remember being so jealous of that show because like every band that was huge at the time was there. I mean, it was you guys, Motley Crue. Bon Jovi, Cinderella, Ozzy. Talk about that. Just that experience playing a place. I don't know that any bands have played Russia like that at that time. Um, not to that degree. Um, uh, Scorpions apparently had played Russia a couple times. I think of all the uh, of all the bands on the bill, with the exception of Gorky Park. Um, yeah, yeah, the who, Russian band. Who, yeah, who was kind of like a Russian supergroup. They were from a bunch of popular Russian bands. Um, other than them, uh, Scorpions were the only band that actually ever played inside of Russia. Um, but Black Sabbath was huge on the black market uh, as far as records, uh, you know. And I, every if anyone from any of the bands tell you that the whole crowd wasn't chanting Ozzy in between every one of their songs, the friggin' liars, because every, in between every song, just about every band, or just about every song of every band, um, Ozzy, 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 it was hilarious. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty wild, man. Was it, was was it scary at all going to a place like, cause at that time, you know, again, I was kind of young, but that was still, you know, at the time, like, I guess the cold war, we were like, we were kind of, I guess it was over by then, but there was still tension. It seems like. Yeah, I mean they they, they already took down most of the wall, mm-hmm. um, or no, they were about to, I believe. Yeah, they were about to take down the wall, but uh, yeah, it was um, it was pretty wild being followed around. Like even when we did stuff for MTV, there were you know the militia, the government police or KGB was not far from where you were. Yeah, I can imagine. Keeping an eye on things. And, um, 
you know, they they bus us back and forth from the hotel to the uh, to the venue to eat and stuff like that because they didn't want us really wandering around, um, which made complete sense. <laughs> yeah, so, for sure. And and man, Moscow back then is not the Moscow that it is now. I mean, we stayed in the hotel. And it was called Hotel Ukraine, and it was really tall, really old, and like pretty horrible inside. And that was the nicest hotel. Wow. Now it's a Radisson. Now it's a Radisson. Um, they, they refurbed the whole thing. And it was weird to go back years later and just see how amazing that rush is now. It, it's it's a really cool place. Um, but yeah, man, like I said, here we are. We're, we've traveled the world and we've, we've been to so many different places. Never in a million years did I think we'd be in communist Russia. Right. You know? And 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 we were, and all of our friends were because we knew every band on that bill, and we knew every photographer that we worked with, and and you know record producers went, and it just it was really really cool uh, to do, and you know still with that experience, you don't at least I didn't realize it much of it at the time, like. I never knew that this we were going to be talking about this 30 years later. Right, you know? yeah. I don't think any of us did. But it was something that, like, it's in the history books of rock and roll. You know what Hell I mean? Yeah. It, it's like, you know, there, there's Woodstock and there, there's there's certain things. And, and there's the Moscow Music Peace Festival. And, and to be a part, a small part of that, is just mind-blowing. Yeah, it's, it's it was, I just remember as a kid, you know, just uh, Amy would send me. She she would send me like letters and stuff. Tell me, hey, we're gonna go do this, and and I was again thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years old, and just obsessed with the bands that I loved, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, being so bummed that like I may never get to see this footage, you know. And I think they did put it out on VHS or parts of it, and but I've never seen the entire festival, and it would be cool to see that back then. And I know the idea. I've always heard the stories. The idea was. Uh, like the whole thing was supposed to be drug free, and and but there, I guess the plane was debauchery. You know, you, we've heard the the guys in Motley Crue talk about that that weren't completely clean, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that was a exciting time. Um, all right, so I want to talk about racing here in a minute, and uh, we're gonna have a special guest, but I got a few more things musically I'd like to touch on. Um, all, right. all right, so is there any one song? I know people ask you this. You've probably been asked a million times. What's your favorite Skid Row song? But I want to know if there's a song lyrically that means more to you than anything else, just any other song, just based off when you wrote it or what was going on in your life? Um, probably Quicksand Jesus. Oh, that's my favorite Skid Row song. Yeah, I, I, I have to say out of the older catalog, that's definitely my favorite song. Um, it, it was wild because Snake and I have a way of writing songs. It's not routine by any stretch of the imagination but we just have we, we we've been doing it for so long we just have a way of writing songs yeah and and that that runs smoothly and you know because we don't get our feelings hurt uh where a lot of people you know you want to change their ideas and and they don't want to do it well that song was the only song in all the songs we ever wrote that we fucking, oops, sorry, that we argued about. Really? You know? Yeah. We, we, it, it took some time. Like, he heard the riff differently. 
than I did. And I'm like, well, no, think of it this way and da 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 and this and that. And then there were lyric things that, that, uh, we, we got into. And when we started writing it, when, first of all, when we agreed on it musically, we, I was over his house and it was snowing like hard. And, um, I believe that, yeah, and I think it was snowing or getting mixed up. Yeah, whatever. But <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I remember it was at his house, and um, the Gulf War, it was official. It yeah. was on. Uh, I remember Scotty Scotty called the house, and he said, hey, you guys got the TV on? But we never had, we were writing songs, so we didn't have TV on. He's like, you might want to take a look. And it changed. It, it took that song in such a direction you know, um, just the, uh, having faith in yourself and faith in the people around you and whatever you have faith in. And, you know, it's just like, wow, what is happening? We, you know, we're, we're kids of the seventies and we, here we are adults and we never really experienced life during wartime, you mm-hmm. know, and now here it is. And it was, it was insane, man. And, and the lyrics just started falling out man they they came out but that song as a whole took us almost a month to write and that is so not us you know <clears throat> usually it's a few days week tops but it took us almost a month to write that song so wow. we really both loved it and the way it is right now is exactly how we wrote it and <laughs> exactly how we had in mind and when michael wagner heard it he's like i don't want to change one thing on this not one thing yeah so yeah and that that song is is uh, very very special to me i love that you picked that because that really is that you know and then like 18 alive and a darkened room were probably right there all together but I, re- I specifically remember when we first moved here to east texas humid as shit out mowing the yard with my walkman on my hip and and having to push the rewind button while I'm mowing to hear that song like three or four times in a row, just kept listening to it over and over and over. Um, yeah, that, that's a, I love that song. It, 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 you know, it's one of those songs that as a teenager, like it was just, it meant something to me, not necessarily the same meaning obviously as to you, but it made me, for me, music just it either makes me feel good or it doesn't. And that song, right. that's just one of those songs that man gives me chills and I love it. Uh, that's off slave to the grind. Um, okay. So a couple more things and we're going to do the racing thing. The grunge era comes out right when I get here to Texas around 91, 92. It, it kind of hurts the music, not the music business totally, but it changes the music business. Bands like yourselves kind of seem to get pushed to the wayside by the business. Uh, and then in 95, Subhuman Race comes out, which is a, a little heavier than what you've done before. Each album kind of seemed to progressively get a little heavier. Was, there, was that a tough time for you guys, that, that early 90s? Oh uh, yeah! After after we got back from Slave and, and like <clears throat> just the there was so much turmoil within the band mm-hmm. and it, it, it just kind of made you want to walk away. But but we we legged it out and uh, you know we we put out Subhuman Race and and it was okay. The songs were okay. It, the, the whole experience of that from for me personally from top to bottom was not a great experience. Um, the uh, the recording of it, the songwriting, and you know, I think I, I we wrote some really cool songs. I think uh, oh, on they there. are 
there, there's a few that I really like, and we still will pull them out every now and then and play like Medicine Jar and Beat Yourself Blind. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, just the musical climate, it, it, I'll never forget, and this was on the Slaves of the Grind tour, that um, we had L.A. Guns opening up for us. Oh, okay. In Europe, in Europe, and Tracy, who's a fan of punk rock like me, he's like, "Hey, man, there's I, I gotta play this band for you. They're kind of punk rock." And he played me Nirvana, huh. and I was like, yeah, "Yeah, they got that punk rock attitude." Uh, I go, you know, punk rock to me is like fast and loud, but right, um, uh, a little more aggressive, even though they do have some aggressive stuff. And I go, I go, catchy as hell, man. I go, this is something that's going to, it's an earworm. It's going to be living there for a while, you know? And, and, uh, I go, what label are they on? He goes, Geffen. I go, we're dead. Oh yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Cause I Geffen go, had everybody are. at that time. I think Guns N' Roses was on that label. Uh, yep. And I, I go, dude, we're dead. Yeah. He goes, what do you mean? And I go, give it some time. <laughs> give it some time. I go, this is, this is good. This is good. And it's funny because I was never really a Nirvana fan until um, Heart Shaped Box. And oh, then yeah. I, was like, oh, I, I really, really love that song. See, I've never, um, I've never been a big – I wasn't a Nirvana guy or a Pearl Jam guy that much either. I, 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 would, I liked it okay, but I didn't love it. Like the bands from right. that area that I loved was like – well, I loved Alice in Chains. And then mm-hmm. um, a band from that same, from Seattle that a lot of those th- that group of guys don't like, I guess, is like Candlebox. I love Candlebox, but yeah, that wasn't really grunge. But yeah, I, I I hated that time though because all the bands I loved were gone basically, and MTV was kind of where I lived. It was actually banned the first week I moved to Texas. They got rid of MTV to the ta- in the town I lived in. And it was crazy. And I moved to a school where you, there was a dress code, which I had never had. And I was like begging to be sent back to California. <laughs> had to cut my hair. It was crazy. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, which actually, hey, do you know who Monty Pittman is? Have you ever heard that guy's name? Monty Pittman? Yeah. I have heard that name. Okay. Well, he's from a town next to mine. He plays for Madonna, but he's also on okay. Metal Blades. He's, he does his own stuff. And he's played in huh. Prong and Danzig and um, – a few other bands but anyway so he lived in the town next to me and uh come to find out that he had long hair but he wore a wig like all through high school so kind of like uh you know the the scotty driving three hours and or whatever like he was dedicated to his craft he wasn't going to cut his hair i didn't have that i cut my hair and i just i i got in line so maybe that's maybe that's why i wasn't a musician um wow he he wore a wig yep school to cover his hair yep just so he wouldn't have to wow. cut it yeah and then I, I guess on graduation day he pulled the wig off dropped his hair awesome. and he's one of the most amazing guitar players i've ever heard that guy, guy rules i love that story yeah he's rad i'll have to yeah if you ever get out to la or something you got you have to he's he's cool he's actually had an experience with sebastian on some talk show or something i can't remember what show it was it wasn't trunks but it was some show like that and uh and sebastian was on was being interviewed and this whoever was doing the interview and said, "Hey, do you know Monty Pittman? He plays for Madonna." And uh, Sebastian was like, "Oh, Madonna, blah blah blah." And and uh, Monty got up there and was like, "Well, no, dude. I taught her like some Pantera riffs, and she plays it, and she plays it live. Like when Madonna was touring two tours ago, she would sit there and play some Pantera riffs with Monty and stuff. And it's 
So anyway, that was a little tie-in. But Monty's a cool dude. If you ever get a chance to bump into him out there in L.A. or on tour, he's right on. He's a good dude. Um, all right. So two more things, and then we're going to move into the racing. Uh, social media is obviously wasn't around in the '90s. Probably thank God for you guys. But now you have a chance to actually interact with your fans if you want to. Um, you know, you could do Instagram Live and play. You know, some acoustic if you wanted or whatever. How, how, what do you think about social media as far as being in a band and having that opportunity? Well, social media is one of those things, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Like you said, being able to interact with people is awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like um, just getting to know your fans on a different level. And I, it, that's really cool. That's, that's the blessing. And that, that's the upside. Mm-hmm. The, the curse <laughs> is that for some reason, social media <laughs> gives people that aren't cool the right, or the, I should say the, the platform to just be complete assholes. <laughs> you know 100% what I mean? true, yes. And, and here's the, I don't understand it. I don't get why people feel that they have to go on and criticize people. Like when it, it was happening to us and we get haters and whatnot, I was like, wow, these people really hate Skid Row. And I wasn't even thinking about anyone else that was on there. Then, you know, I'm a big NASCAR fan. And I go on the message boards. I'm like, there's people doing this to Jimmy Johnson. He yep. just won five championships yep. in a row. And they're saying he can't drive. You know, it's stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, I get it now. Because I have a theory. Here's something that haters are probably not aware of. And that is 99% of the bands and artists that they mock and criticize are really unaffected and usually amused. You know what I mean? By Uh the anonymous comments that are made about us. Um, And that's even if any of us go as far as reading the message board. But, you know, there's sometimes we even pity them knowing that at the end of the day, their big accomplishment is making fun of a stranger that has accomplished so much more than them. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and when they wake up, they're still the same miserable dipshit. And when I wake up, I'm still in Skid Row. There you go. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I have rants on my podcast a lot about that same stuff because these guys get on there and they trash talk the writers. They trash talk me and my show. My show is, you know, pretty small time compared to some of the bigger podcasts and motocross. Uh, they, but they'll go on the other shows that I do stuff for and like, oh, I hate Dark Side. You should get rid of Dark Side. I hate what he does. I'm like, would it be that hard just to not listen to it? It's not really that hard. Exactly. Like, you know, it, and they'll, they'll say you should they'll tell one of my I guess I'll just call my boss that does I do a show for Steve Mathis. They'll they'll send him messages and say you should get rid of Dark Side's show. It sucks. And I go like I'll respond sometimes, which I shouldn't. Like, what about the people that do like it? Do you not care that yeah. they they like it? You don't have to. But people are yeah. just so self absorbed now. I guess with and it's probably always been that way. Like you said, they just have a voice now. Um, yeah. But I think it's cool for the interaction because the only reason I got this interview was because of your Dirty Rocker Soap Instagram. And, and Ralph Shaheen turned me on to that. Uh, everybody that listens to my show knows who Ralph is. Uh, but yeah. 
the fact that I sent a message to the Instagram, you know, direct message and they sent it over to you and here we are. So for me, it worked out good. Um, you know, so I'm getting to talk to one yeah. of my heroes. Uh, That's awesome, man. Along the same lines, I think with Eddie, you were he asked you if you guys are recording or writing using Zoom. It's, a lot of bands are doing that now, and those kind of uh, t- that technology. And I think you mentioned that you like at the very least you're writing in your own place, and maybe you'll send a piece of music to Scotty, or you'll send it to uh, Dave, or whatever. You guys, that's kind of how you collaborate. Do you yeah. like that compared to just being in a garage, basically, like you used to, and maybe somebody, you maybe you start playing a little riff, just you're sitting there playing, and all of a sudden, Dave starts playing a riff, and then your singer starts humming something, and two hours later, yeah. it's a song. Yeah, see, we, we like, th- that kind of magic happens with us at Soundcheck. You okay. know, somebody will have a riff, and then the same thing as yeah, they'll start singing a loose melody over stuff, and, you know, Thankfully, smartphones has a recorder on it. Yeah. And, you know, we, we do that all the time because back in the day, you know, we used to carry around dictaphones. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> so yeah. I, st- I still have some of mine, which is funny. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, being and just sitting down to write, being in a room, just whether it's just one-on-one or, or with the band, it's just there's just something more organic about it you know and 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 spontaneous where when you're not in the same room you know you're doing over zoom it's like ah shit the cat just threw up on the carpet hang on i'll be right back (laughs) or you know stuff like that it's like oh dude my wife is blocked out of the car i'll be right back you know stuff like that (laughs) that's awesome yeah it's like there there there's the distractions more distractions than when you're like all right Let's get in this room and sit down, grab a guitar. Let's let's write, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it's a necessary thing now, just with the way things are. And, Very true. You know, you have to adapt and overcome. Otherwise, you're just gonna uh, you're gonna fall behind. Absolutely. All right. Let's uh, let's shift gears to racing for a few minutes. All right, well, uh, we have a, a special caller on the line. He is the voice of Supercross, the owner of Speed Sport Magazine, and a fellow 49er fan and a, a good friend of Rachel's, Mr. Ralph Shaheen. What's up, brother? Hey, man, how are you? Yeah, what, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller? <laughs> well, it's, it's great to have you on here, and the reason I wanted to get you on is, again, you're a friend of Rachel's, uh, you're a metal fan, but you're, you're a race fan, as is Rachel. He is uh, not only a musician – um, so Rachel, kind of give me a little background, how you got into racing. And then I know you and Ralph have done some races together and I just maybe like to get you guys to tell some stories. Yeah. Uh, well, um, as a kid growing up in Jersey, there was uh raceway park in English town and there was, uh, we used to, my brother and I used to go see drag races, but, uh, there was also a wall stadium in, uh, wall township, New Jersey, which was closer to the house and the whole family would go. And just the man watching the modified uh, go around that small track was just something to behold. And it was so much fun and it was so much, it was so loud and so fast. And, you know, that place used to pack out. I think they had 3000 seats. They were benches and they were 
old wood, so you couldn't slide from one spot to another. You'd have to stand up and move. So you, don't get, you don't want to splinter in the butt. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's how I got introduced to racing. And, you know, just it wasn't – NASCAR wasn't televised all that much. Right. But, I mean, in 79, there was that, you know, the Daytona 500 when we were all snowed in, man. And uh, it's it, – yeah, it, it, it – to me, it was as exciting – as a concert okay you know going to, going to those races going to wall stadium and it, it's funny just fast forward to you know years and years later i got to meet richard petty at pocono raceway when i still lived in new jersey and he said where are you from and i said new jersey he goes ah oh, wall stadium and i go you know wall stadium he goes Anyone my age that raced in NASCAR raced at Wall Stadium. And I'm like, wow, man. Nice. It just hit me. And I was just like, all the races I saw there. You yeah. Know? Did, was that was that a paved track or was that dirt? Paved. Okay. I, the reason yeah, the I asked. Were, the pits were on the outside track, like the, like the small track in Charlotte. Yeah. The reason I asked is I, I told you I'd lived in Clementon for just a little bit when I was a kid. My dad raced big block modifieds up there, but I don't know. I don't remember where. I was too young. I was just curious if that was anywhere near where you were, but um ralph how did you meet rachel and how did you guys uh was it through music or was it through racing it was through music but a mutual appreciation for racing that led to the conversation getting started they were on tour kiss and ted nugent uh that was the kiss reunion tour right rachel and uh, uh, farewell yeah farewell yeah farewell tour okay and um and uh, we, uh, we, I had a backstage pass. I was, we, I was there with two other buddies of mine from racing, uh, the legendary racing artist Sam Bass, and another guy by the name of Jay Wells, who uh, used to do all the PR for all the school bandit racing stuff with uh, Harry Gant, Don Perdome, and, and all that. And in between bands, we had had the opportunity to go backstage and we're hanging out in the uh, catering room, and we just watched Skid Row play. Those guys came back into the catering area, and Rachel looks over and he spots me. And of course, I recognize him right away, and he recognized me from some racing TV shows, mm-hmm. and one in particular in which I had talked about uh, a passion for Kiss and held up the fact that I had this Kiss guitar that had been broken in half. Paul Stanley did it on the stage, threw that into the audience, and I caught it. So Rachel thought, well, this guy, you know, he and I obviously have something in common. We're both like racing and kissing. Sure enough, there I am sitting in the room, and he comes over and says, hey, I know you. You were actually I'm like, oh, my God, how the hell you know me? And we start talking, and then he drags me back into their uh, dressing room. The rest of the guys are hanging out after. We just, you know, rode out and became buddies, and uh, there you go. But, all right, we got Ralph back on a, a little better phone signal. Uh, so, tell me, give me a story about you guys racing together, Ralph, because I think I you mentioned that you've actually raced together in some event. Was it like the Legends car, or what was it? Yeah, we were teammates. Um, there was, what, three of us, I guess, Rachel, you, me, and Mr. Bill, who was um, yeah. disc jockey on the... Uh, Fox, the classic rock station here in Charlotte, and um, Rachel drove a Legends car, and Mr. Bill and I each drove Thunder Roadsters. 
Uh, they're basically powered by the same engine. Uh, it was 1,200cc FJ uh, Yamahas, and they, the cars just looked a little bit different. Thunder Roadster was a little base. bit, yeah, the wheelbase was a little longer on the, the Thunder Roadster, uh, but we would run the same, same times. Uh-huh. So I think the story that always sticks out to me and Rachel knows this one well, and I think he's probably the last time <laughs> I'm going to bring this one up. Of course, Rach is well known for his nose ring, and we were standing in the trailer one night, one day, is December, I think, was, and it was, yeah, it was cold a, yeah. out. And we were racing on the Oval at uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway in the infield there. And we're standing there, him and I up in the trailer, and we're just watching the race. And we're just not really saying anything at this one point. And I go, son of a bitch. I go, dude, what? What's the matter? He goes, this damn nose ring. I go, what about it? We had one of those uh, butane, like, looks like a cigar heaters, you know? Yeah, yeah. Going on in the trailer, trying to keep us warm. And he goes, man, he goes, I get away from that butane butane heater. My nose freezes up with this thing. Oh. He goes, then I get closer to it to get warm, and it gets hot. <laughs> and it starts to burn. And I said, it's just tough being a rock star, isn't yeah, it, Rachel? Hey, <laughs> Rock. Uh. <laughs> Hey, remember that day a bunch of fans showed up and they snuck a bunch of beer in? in oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the pit area. Right. I'm like, man, you, you can't drink that out here. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So who's the better driver, Rachel? Well, I, I would say Ralph is. Okay. Just because just I like him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He doesn't, he doesn't mean it. He's just saying it. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm just saying it. I'm, I'm being polite. Yeah. Now, um, Actually, Ralph got me my first ride in uh, Legends because we were on tour, still uh, finishing up with Kiss, and like I had said to him at one point, I was like, "Dude, if you hear of any kind of celebrity races or whatever charity race, I would love to get in something like a go kart or something." And yeah, he had called. He had called me, and you know, because when TNN used to put on just about. Well, when there was a TNN, and there just about every damn race that was on there, they always put on the Mark Colley, uh race for diabetes cure. And um, he goes, hey, you ever hear of the Mark Colley race? I was like, yeah. He goes, they're looking for a rock guy to go down there and race a Legends car. I'm like, cool, when is it? And it just so happened that it was two days after the last show of the KISS tour. Wow, and, perfect. Yeah, so I drove here it was in nashville at the the fairgrounds and it was such a cool experience so ralph has ralph is responsible for putting me in a, a somewhat real race car my first ever race and i came in second oh cool. hell yeah yeah, yeah see thanks. he's being he's being very kind about his you know which one of us is a better driver rachel is quite the wheel man he needs really? to give himself plenty of credit there yeah he can do it that's that's really cool man i uh I grew up around it. My dad raced dirt track all my life. I'm a huge World of Outlaw fan, as obviously Ralph is. Uh, I had a chance twice to drive a dirt track car when I was about 15, my dad's, and I was scared, so I just didn't do it. And that's like one of my big regrets that I never got behind the wheel. I just always have been on two wheels and uh, gotten hurt many, many times. With age comes a roll cage, as they say, but damn, auto racing is way more expensive than dirt bikes. Yeah, well, and Rachel, listen, he loves Supercross, too. They've come to a handful of Supercross okay. races uh, with that. me, uh, including Atlanta. We, You guys, were when you were living in Atlanta, Rachel, we had, what, you and, um, and I think Scotty and, and Dave and, and, and Rob. Oh, dude, Ralph, we have, yeah. if everything 
goes the way we hope it does in 2021, we got to figure that out. And that way I'll go to, I'll go to a race, whatever race it is that Rachel's at, because I would love to meet the guys in the band and like, we got to make that happen. Yeah, man. Yeah. Of course. Sure. Yeah. They'll probably be touring if we get back to normal. Cause I know, like we said, you got an <laughs> album you're working on. And, uh, as Eddie Trunk said, you're, uh, your guys are going to try to tour for slave to the grind, do slave to the grind in its entirety. So I'm sure you're going to be pretty busy once things get normal again. Yeah, we're we're hoping we're hoping uh, it gets normal next year, man. Yeah, because I'm uh, I run out of things to do to the house. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, see, my deal is I keep threatening Rachel that one of these days when uh, when I get a break long enough in my deal, I want to come be a roadie for Skid Row for you know like Dude, two three weeks. That's hard work, man. Oh, I know, but I just I think it just you know again it's. That's the great part about our friendship has been we've been able to introduce each other to each other's world. Sure. You know, which we're both yeah. big fans of in reverse, if you will, you know. Uh, so I've had opportunities to take him and show him and introduce him to things and people on the racing side, and he's done the same for me on the music side, and it's it's been great. And uh, yeah. I always thought man, it'd be a riot to hang out with those guys, you know, for a week or two uh, yeah. and, and experience start, that. Start you know, what an opportunity. Liver. Start massaging your liver. You start massaging my liver. I've had enough practice with those guys on that. Yeah, Yeah, I know how that goes quite well with that group. Uh, Rachel, (laughs) is your band anything like like Dimebag's Legendary Forest? Like, you have to take a drink? Uh, No, we don't have to, but we do. Yeah, yeah. All right. (laughs) It's funny. Before before I met Dime, I didn't even drink beer before I went on stage. And I walk in their dressing room when they were opening for us. I was like, "Are you guys doing shots of whiskey before you go on stage?" He's yeah. like, "Yeah, man. Grease wheel, man. Grease wheel." Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but uh, uh, I just remembered something. Ralph actually took me to my first uh, World of Outlaws race when they used to race at where was that? Ralph at the dirt track in Charlotte. Yeah, there's the dirt track in Charlotte. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think and, of that? Uh, it was awesome. Nothing it was like absolutely it. Absolutely awesome. It, it was it was different different ball game than what I was used to seeing. And yeah. um, man, I, I met Lasaki and, and uh, the dude. Kinzer. Man, so many people. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, I think wasn't Smoke there too, Ralph? Didn't he? Yep. He there's a and, there's a great picture of uh, all of us together oh, after. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you and me and, and my wife, Kimberly, who I think we were, you know, maybe just engaged back then, and uh, it was quite <laughs> yeah. a few years ago, but yeah, we were all there, wow. Tony was there, and, you know, I, yeah. He, I just, gave me, he signed a hat for me. Yeah, I just got to meet Smoke, uh, what was it, Ralph, two months ago, maybe? He came to, yeah. with his all-star uh, sprint car series, he came to our local track, and I went out there and tried to do an interview i got press credentials for that event and talked to tony he's like hey man i got out of nascar so i don't have to do interviews so <laughs> i said fair enough but uh actually ralph kind of saved me on that one too because tony had no idea who i was but tony sent me a text to say something to him and when I, as soon as i did that tony kind of lit up and was like oh, okay you're, you're you're cool you know you're okay so right. i have to thank ralph for that and uh Let's shift gears real quick. Last topic is Dirty Rocker Soap. Uh, this is your new company. Uh, it's a all-natural all artisan uh, soap company that you started. Uh, the stuff, you know, I saw Ralph post about it, so I jumped in and bought some, and I love it. I think it's fantastic, uh, and I'm actually about to order some more. Um, but talk about that a little bit. What, what made you want to do that, and 
how is it going? It's it's going incredible, um, like more than I ever imagined. Um, I started this whole thing. This was an idea uh, that has been, you know, in my head for almost better part of two years, and I was just securing <clears throat> securing um, trademarks and business licenses and all that stuff, and. When it came time, you know, we had all this time off, and uh, right before all this happened, a friend of mine, Jeannie Bassone, she she has a, a soap company as well, and I was like, hey, I said, let's come up with some formulas, and I told her my idea, what I'm going to do with Dirty Rocker and stuff like that, and, and uh, I said, I, I got a few ideas for, for formulas and for scents. Mm-hmm. I don't have the means to make it. So can if I can I commission you basically to to make a few? And so she did and I said just just four soaps and make me, you know, ten bars of each. And so she did. And then I built the website and I had all this time on my hand and I put it up and in three days it was gone. Wow. And I was like, Oh Did Ralph like, okay. did Ralph buy it all? <laughs> Not yet. Yeah, I don't think he even knew about it. Okay. <laughs> he didn't even know about it yet. It, it went so fast. And then I was like, all right. Um, I, I announced it on my Instagram. And then, all right, so I doubled everything. And, and the thing is, is you can't just make it and sell it the next day because it, it needs to cure and whatnot. So you're talking three weeks. Yeah, so, I, I learned that on the Eddie Trunk. When you talk about it on Eddie Trunk, I was I was kind of curious when I ordered, like, why it was taking so long, and that, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's something that I – it was kind of necessity, but kind of like, okay, every band has a coffee, every band yep. has a hot sauce, you know what I mean? And that's cool because we, we're, we have coffee and we're going to have a hot sauce. So what don't they have? And <laughs> – Soap didn't come into mind until just it was kind of necessity because traveling and and you guys could vouch for this traveling so much you're just if you don't carry soap with you uh, I mean they don't call it dirty rockers for nothing you <laughs> yes. know what I mean? so yeah yeah it's it, it's like so you have that bar of detergent you know and 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 I also I have eczema so uh, to keep it in check I can't use certain things so. I'm just like, man, I'm going to see. I'm going to try one of Jeannie's soaps. And, and I did. And I was like, oh, this is this is different. This is a game changer. So then that's when we started formulating stuff for us. And now my girl is involved with it. And we we have a shop in the house and, and manufacture it. The, and here in uh, uh, the other side of the house. And it's, it's going amazing. You know what I mean? Um, just – and we were talking before about <clears> – <throat> Uh, another way to connect with fans of the band mm-hmm. and this is another way and you're, you're not talking about music people are giving me ideas they're like hey man what about this this type of soap and this type of soap and and you know it i i i thought this was going to kind of be a hobby and just be a you know just a hobby Part-time, and they yeah. just sell, sell a little here sell a little there now it's like i'm at the point where i've had to quadruple production and so, you know, I'm overseeing a lot of people helping me, and, and it's uh, it's pretty cool, man. Yeah. It's fun to do, and, and um, so far, so good. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not a bad problem to have. Uh, and you mentioned the touring and, you know, Dirty Rockers. 
I always remember that hearing again. I keep re- referencing Eddie Trunk and that metal show, but Zach Wild being on there and saying how they like his band, Black Label Society, would have basically contests to see who could go the longest without showering. Well, that's that's not my way. I want to live on a tour bus, so having some good soap with me, you know, even if you don't get a chance to stop at a hotel, maybe get you know get a bottle of water and soap up with some of this dirty rocker soap. Um, Ralph, do you have a, a favorite? Uh, scent. I, I've got the lavender wood and the tea tree coal. Tea tree coal is mine. Okay. I, I haven't I haven't tried them all yet, but so far tea tree coal is my favorite. Yeah, that's that's actually the only one I've tried so far. And Rachel, this may sound weird. I'm kind of a texture guy when it comes to everything, food, whatever. And there's something. This sounds so weird me saying it now that I'm saying it, but the the, the feel of that soap feels awesome. Like it's so different than a standard name brand soap. Yeah, well, here's the thing. It's all everything's all natural. It's basically a lot like the the we use coconut oil, olive oil, and then some of them have uh, hemp oil in it as well. And all the ingredients are natural. The um, I I use essential oils, mm-hmm. and and that that's why it it just feels like that. And and um, yeah, a lot of people have been. Uh, I've had a, a great response to everything, and and uh, this is something that uh, looks like it, it's going for the long haul, which which I'm so grateful about. And the fact that um, like just just connecting in a different way with fans, and then just people are just fans of the soap that may have been turned on to it that aren't fans of Skid Row. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, you know, and it's cool, man. It's it's cool. I, I'm you know I'm a rocker, but I'm also a businessman, and I like sure. that. And the, and this is fun because it's a creative outlet as well. And when people, you know, what I really really love, and Ralph, you did it, and, and you both you guys did it. Um, people are setting up their soap certain ways and taking pictures of it and sending it to me and, and or posting it, and then I repost it all the time. Yeah, and I feel like in some small way that the, their creativity is coming out. And some of these pictures are insane. <laughs> like, like they just like the lighting is great and all this. And I really, I really enjoy getting the photos and, and hearing from people that, that, uh, that, that they like it. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it's, well, it's, I, uh, Rachel, I appreciate the, the comment on my photo skills, but I'm going to have to, uh, be uh, truthful here and tell you that that was Kimberly, my wife, <laughs> who, who All right, that well, up. So imagine that. She, <laughs> and he, of course, Rachel well, knows Kimberly very well, yeah. so he, I'm sure you know he, he can appreciate That's that. Good. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, you say yeah, it does, doesn't it? You saying that actually? I, I said I'm going to place another order, and I think I'm going, to, I'm going to get a few extra bars, and we'll do a giveaway on our show. Give some guy, and maybe we can get some moto guys to take pictures, like at the track or something right. like that. Well, and and I know with myself, and I saw on uh, Ralph's, it, it looks like you give a uh, guitar pick with every order. I don't know if that's just the first order or not, but you get a Rachel Ball yeah. guitar pick. That's really cool. I put that in my collection of guitar picks. Um, yep, every order. Yeah, that's that's really bitching. So we'll do something like that, and maybe we can get some some of the Moto community that listen to our show to show some support and uh, in that. Um, Ralph, anything else for Rachel before I let you guys go? I know you guys. Well, I'm just. I'm just waiting for the next round of flavors to come out. I'm looking for either methanol, oh. nitro, or maybe a little two-stroke. I like know, I like the methanol idea. There. Yeah. 
could you imagine? I could. I'd be all about that. Yeah, yeah. There, shoot, there's nothing like being at a race and that that smell. So I'm down with that. That's uh, that's cool. That's yeah. true. That's true. Well, yeah. go ahead, Ralph. No, that was no. That's it. I, you know, I was just thinking back to um, I, I was this past weekend. I was at the uh, sprint car race up in uh, Lucas Oil Raceway Park as part of the Indianapolis 500 weekend, and um, and the Silver Crown cars are there. And I was sitting there down on the right as the guy was getting ready to go out and qualify Aaron Pierce. And I was shooting this little video clip, and those pipes were just melting out the fumes, you know. And I'm sitting there <laughs> thinking, you know, here we are in all this time when everybody's having to mask up and, you know, do all this sort of stuff that we got to do and everything. And, you know, when you're wearing all that, you're missing some of the great smells and <laughs> stuff that are out there in the world. And, man, <laughs> That methanol was just kicking out of those pipes yeah. when I was going, man, this is so good. Yeah. I hope he has to sit here for a few more minutes before he goes out. <laughs> yeah. I, what is it about that? Like, I, I, I used to love that when I'd race. I'd drive home from Charlotte to Atlanta, and the whole way I'm just smelling my shirt. Yeah. Smelling it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Keep, keep well, that's the thing about and, – and that's where these two worlds collide, you know, and, and why we all, the three of us, have this mutual admiration of the, the two different worlds, and there's so many similarities to it, right? There's, there's yeah. the you got to hear it, you got to feel it, you got to smell it. It, it yeah. it's all part of what drives you, whether it's to a big concert in an arena style show or a, or a good, really good club show, um, or you know, to the races. Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of similarities between between those, you know, and the when the lights go out at the, the concert yep. venue, it's no different than the green flag going up at the racetrack. Exactly. You, you know, your adrenaline level just, you know, peaks right then because you know what's coming next. Yeah. You're talking about yeah, – it's like, go ahead, Rachel. You put on your fire, you put on your fire suit you, like you're putting on your leathers, you know yeah. what I mean? You're in yeah. staging like you're walking down the hallway. Um, and like you said, when the lights go down, it's like the green flag. The only – thing i didn't have to worry about when i step out on stage is barrel rolling <laughs> <laughs> yeah which even which, though even though i think Rachel had, had a moment or two too behind the wheel Woo. yeah <laughs> yeah as a motor motocross racer like we would you know everything's four stroke pretty much now but you'd like to get behind those two strokes and get that that caster smell the, you know the old yeah. maximo oils and uh, I think I heard there's a company that uh, R- Ralph that Daniel Blair's podcast is sponsored by called Blenzol, and he said they have like the two stroke smelling candles. But then I went to their website and couldn't find it. And I, sh- I need to ask him if he was joking because if that's a thing, I'm buying a truckload. Sure, sure, <laughs> and you know, and those and those are all things that we grew up with, yeah. too, right? Yeah, and so it becomes um, you know something that brings you back. Uh, it's it's no different than listening to the music, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you hear a particular song, and it takes you right back to, you know, 18 of Life takes you right back to where you were when you heard it when it first came out, right? Yeah. Um, yep. yep. and, and so it's that same experience with the race cars. You know, you go to a particular venue, you see a particular car, a particular uh, smell or sound of a type of engine that maybe you grew up with. And you remember, yeah, I remember that, yeah. you know, and, and you're right there. Yep, absolutely. All right, boys, um, I, I've kept Rachel way too long. I want to tell you, thank you. Um, it means a lot. 
when you guys get back to touring, please come to Texas or Shreveport. Because uh, one way or another, I've got to see Skid Row live. I've never seen you guys. Um, last thing to wrap this up with the soap. I just thought of this. On oh, Say Can You Scream, Sebastian Bach says, we live by a motto, if you think you stink, and that's it. We never. What's the second part? I don't know. I never listened to him. Oh, okay. Crap. <laughs> I have wondered that since I was like 15. Like, well, I'm sure it's just you probably do or something along those lines. But, I, okay, well, if you think you stink, <laughs> buy some Dirty Rocker Soap, at Dirty Rocker Soap on Instagram. If you're a race fan, you have to subscribe to Speed Sport Magazine. That's Ralph, Shaheen, Ralph Shaheen's baby. Uh, Ralph, thank you for jumping on here. Rachel, honestly, dude, it's it's been a pleasure. I hope it wasn't too long. Um, I have waited oh. since I was 13 years old to – get a chance to talk to you so it's uh it's really cool cool man it's great it was fun all right well i'll uh i'll get this thing edited and posted here in a little bit but once again thanks guys you guys right, see man. you soon rach see you bud see you